Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you've joined us for this time of worship, and we hope that it's already been a meaningful connect with God, having a sense of His presence. And uh, maybe you've also met a friend today, we hope. I'm going to be reading in a few moments from the New Testament book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And I encourage you to find that in a Bible. We have some over on the table if uh, you didn't bring one today. But I'm going to be reading 22 verses. It's a long reading. It's a special reading. I think you're going to enjoy the reading, but it'll be helpful to you if you have a Bible to read it from. So Acts chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 1 in just a minute. You know, we've just come through the Easter season. There's a lot of reflection on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it uh, kind of gives rise to the question, you know, what are we supposed to make of all this? Is it sometimes just wishful thinking that the whole God story and Jesus story and heaven story are reality or that we can experience that someday? I ask that legitimately. Is that just wishful thinking? Um. So imagine, you know, over the last few days you were at work and all this news about the tornadoes that have swept across the southern U.S., all the deaths that have taken place, kind of give rise to a little conversation around the cubicles, right? And um, somebody comments about how tragic it is that that much life was lost in those storms. And you're kind of thinking about life, death, afterlife stuff. And uh, your friend says something to the effect of, you know, if there is an afterlife, and I'm not very religious, but if there is one, I sure hope that I get to go to heaven someday. I mean, I just hope I have enough good karma or good behavior, you know, that I make the cut. And you're a believer, and so you say, well, um, I hope to go to heaven too, and um, I I think I'm going to because I believe in Jesus. And your friend says, so that's supposed to, like, make it where you get in and and maybe some others don't. I I mean, I don't get that whole thing. Why believe in Jesus? And you go on to talk about, well, you know, he showed us how to live. He showed us to be good. And, you know, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. and, And your friend goes, well, how do you even know that stuff's real? How do you know that stuff's true? And you go, well, because, you know, it's in the Bible, and I just believe it. I I just accept that it's true. So, friend, about the time you say something like, well, I just believe it, then most of our friends who don't just believe it have assumed you've taken a leap of faith that they're not going to take. And many of them will conclude whether they do so in their mind or actually say, well, I'm glad that works for you. And what I want to suggest to you is that there are some very good, powerful, strong reasons to believe, to have hope. And it's not just a leap of faith. And by the way, I'm not even going to talk about it today, but uh, we believe that the Bible is absolutely reliable, trustworthy, uh, a wonderful revelation of God. And if you have concerns about that, and you have questions about that, then I refer you to our website. 
Uh, you can go back into the archived messages that I've brought in times past. And the October 11, 2009 message will answer, I think, a lot of those questions that you might have about the Bible. But to get into what we're talking about today, what is it that makes Christianity distinctly different from every other religion in the world? Because that's the claim. What is it that makes Christianity distinctly different? You go, well, uh, it sure brings me a lot of peace. It brings me a sense of security. It brings me a lot of hope. It's changed my marriage. Uh, It's changed my outlook on life. Friend, if that's your testimony, if that's your story, I'm really grateful for that. That, that, And that is a blessing. Let me just be really honest with you. There's a lot of other people who hold to a lot of other beliefs and faiths that can say the very same thing. They get a sense of security and peace. It's impacted their relationships. It's had some positive outcomes for them. That is not what is distinct about Christianity. And let me just kind of dig down on that, press down on that just a little bit more as we're thinking, what is it about Christianity that makes it different, that makes it unique, that makes it unlike any other religion in the world? And let me hasten to say, it's not the teaching of Jesus. Now, I don't believe there's ever been a teacher like Jesus. I don't believe there's any other teaching that even comes close to comparing with his teaching. I have given my life to the study and the implementation and the practice of his teaching. I, esteem, I couldn't esteem it higher. But that's not what's distinct about Christianity. It's not what's foundational to us. Because there's a lot of good teaching out there and then a lot of crazy teaching out there from other historic persons. And it's not a philosophy of life. And I have totally bought into the philosophy of life that Jesus Contended. And I don't believe there's a close second. But that's not what we base our faith upon. And it's not worldview. And my worldview has been absolutely shaped by Jesus and his worldview. But that's not what we are betting our life on. And it's not a country. It's not this, well, you know, America's kind of a Christian nation, so that's where Christians are, and Israel's kind of a Jewish nation, and that's where Jews are, and those Islamic countries, that's where the Muslims are. And so it's not nationality. And it's not faith. It's not just believing. Listen, most of your friends, absolutely my friends, are too smart to just believe. So, what is it that is distinct, that is unique, that is the bedrock and the foundation of the Christian faith, that is the absolute necessity for its truth and veracity? It is an event. It is something that happened on one day in history. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of other religions out there, a lot of other religious leaders who had uh, powerful teachings, who had devoted followers, who died for their cause. Uh, That's not what distinguishes Christianity. No other religion has the founder who died and came back to life. That is what is unique. 
about who we are. Now, you can begin to study across the the spectrum of religions, religious leaders, the followers of those religious leaders, and and you'll see similar stories that uh, they were inspirational, they were exceptional people, they were able to to gather a following, their teachings uh, had a profundity that made people sit up and take notice, and then maybe they died, and their followers would then rally Right. Their followers would come together and say, we got to keep the dream alive. We got to keep putting out the teaching. We got to keep putting out the philosophy of life. We got to keep putting out the worldview of. Teacher, so and so. Holy man, so and so. Right. Not so with Christianity. There was no rally cry when Jesus died. There was no one saying, keep the dream alive. Because as far as the followers of Jesus were concerned, it was over. It was a done deal. Because you see, Jesus had crossed a line that no other religious leader had ever crossed. Jesus had said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, do you see how audacious that is? Do you see how over the top that is compared to every other religious leader that's found in a major religion around today? Jesus so identified himself, not just with, but as God, that when he died, his followers didn't rally. They didn't say, keep the dream alive. They said, well, that's over. We thought he was God. Because after all, how can God be arrested? How can God be beaten within a breath of his life? How can God be shamefully treated up and down the streets of the Via Dolorosa? How can God be nailed to a tree and hung on a cross? This absolutely blew all of them out of the water. They just could not believe anymore in Jesus if he had died. But, of course, the rest of the story is he didn't remain dead. But, friends, this is who we are and what we're about and what distinguishes us from every other kind of faith person in the world, in all of history. And that is we believe that a dead man walked again. We believe that a dead man came alive again. And and, and I don't mean this in any kind of sacrilegious way. But listen, if Jesus died and rose again, it almost doesn't matter what he taught. It almost doesn't matter what his philosophy was. It almost doesn't matter about anything else. If he was a dead man that came back alive, I'm following him. He's it. He's the one. And that's what distinguishes us. Now, when we get to the book of Acts, we have some interesting things developing among the followers of Jesus. Now, if you know a little bit about your Bible background, then you know about 30 or 35 years after 
the resurrection of Jesus. All those who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection were beginning to die off. They were getting old. And there was a guy that came on the scene who became very concerned about that. He was a doctor. We know him by his name, Luke. And Luke went about, this is like 30, 35 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He went around interviewing eyewitnesses, collecting eyewitness accounts to what happened in the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And he collected not just enough material to tell that story, which we call the gospel of Luke, but he collected so much information, he wrote a second volume that we call the book of Acts. A-C-T-S, the Acts of the Apostles, sometimes it's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is the one that I prefer. But it basically details what happened after the resurrection. So the gospel tells us everything that goes up to the crucifixion and that a resurrection took place. Then Acts takes us into all these episodes and all these chapters of what happened after the resurrection. So as you recall, when Jesus died, his disciples said, oh, it's over. There was no rally. In fact, they said, I'm going fishing, which was to say, I'm going back to the way life used to be, going back to business as usual. And then Jesus resurrected. And these followers saw the resurrected Jesus. That's the only way you can explain the total change and trajectory of their lives that took place is that they saw and they heard the resurrected Jesus. Now, before we get into chapter 4, let me just back up a few verses to chapter 3, around verse 14, verse 15. You've got a story where Peter and John, two of Jesus' followers, who have beholden him in his resurrected state, are telling everyone everywhere, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he is resurrected. He is Lord. And many others have seen the resurrected Christ. And so there is this, like, incredible movement of Jesus' followers. Thousands of them, right? And it's creating a near riot situation in Jerusalem. And on one occasion, John and uh, Peter are going to the temple to pray, and they come upon this guy who is a well-known beggar who uh, is uh, a cripple and can't walk, and he's begging for alms and begging for alms. And, and for reasons that are only known to God, God brought this to Peter's attention, and they didn't just walk by the guy. They stopped. They looked at him. And Peter said to him, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. Stand up and walk. Kind of like Jesus, huh? <laughs> and all of a sudden, the Bible says, strength came into the guy's legs and feet and ankles. And he stood up and he began to walk. And this well-known beggar at the temple gate was blowing everybody's mind. They're like, how could this happen? How could this happen? This is a miracle. This is, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. And, G and Peter took the occasion to say, this is because of Jesus, who you crucified. You killed the guy, but he came back to life. And he is Lord, and he's the reason this is happening. And he has come 
so that you might have life in him. Does that sound like the Peter just a few pages before when a little teenage girl said, aren't you one of his followers? No, no, I never knew the man. What happened in this episode in Peter's life where he doesn't want to even claim he knows Jesus to this episode in his life where he's telling people, you crucified him, he's raised up, he caused this man to walk, follow him. What happened was he saw a dead man walking. What happened was he encountered the resurrected Jesus. And it absolutely changed his life. It absolutely changed John's life and all the followers of Jesus. So that by the time we get into chapter 4, the local authorities have uh, gotten very concerned about this riotous stuff that's going on. And they arrest Peter and John. You can't have people going around talking about dead men that are walking and causing a riot. And they are... Not proclaiming Jesus' teachings. Not telling stories about the prodigal son. Not telling stories about miracles. Not trying to convey the philosophy of life or the worldview that Jesus held. They are just telling resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. He was dead. He's alive. He's real. He's Lord. And thousands, like overnight are beginning to be followers of Jesus. The text that we're going to read here in just a minute says 5,000 men. Now, if most of those guys were married, then you're probably around 10,000. And if they had a child or two with them, you may be looking at, some historians think, twelve to 15,000 believers virtually overnight. Not because all of a sudden they're taken with Jesus' teaching. Not because all of a sudden they're taken with His philosophy. Not because all of a sudden they're taken with His worldview, etc., Not because they just believe, but because the resurrection was real. And we need to get into it. So, chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly annoyed Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were very annoyed, not because they were saying Jesus was a good man, not because they were saying, like Jesus said, we ought to love one another, not because they were contending we ought to be uh, kind to one another as we'd want them to be kind to us and have a golden rule and all that. No, they were saying Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And this was annoying them to no end. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, why did Luke just give us that string of names? Because this guy's a detailed historian. This is history. And just so you know it's history and it's not wishful thinking, it's not fantasy, it's not fable. He gives you historical context after historical context. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Healing this crippled guy. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, right, these guys weren't bold guys. Many of them had seen them just a, you know, a few days prior and they were cowering. So when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived these are uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What are we going to do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In other words, you can't mistake this crippled guy that we've seen here for, for years and years and years is now walking. We know some kind of miracle has happened. You can't escape that sign. What are we going to do about them, these guys, and their message? Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone. In this name. And so they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. There was a long history of this guy being a crippled guy, and there was no denying what had taken place. So, again, I'm just, I know I'm... Uh, being a little bit redundant, but we've got to get this because this has everything to do with where you are today and how the rest of your days are spent if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. This is all about a dead man who is alive. Paul underscored this to such an extent that he said in his writings to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. You go, you know, 
I, I, I've heard that before. And I, I wonder, is that just a little overstated? Because I'm going to tell you, um, Jesus and his teachings have meant a lot to me personally. They've impacted my marriage. They've impacted my kids. They've impacted the way I treat other people. Uh, you want to just say that if there was no resurrection, all that's useless? Paul would say, yes. It's useless. Because everything is built. Everything in the Jesus system is built on a lie. If the resurrection is not true. The resurrection is the key to our faith. If there is no resurrection, friend, I'm just going to be honest with you, there is absolutely no reason for you to believe anything in the book if there's no resurrection. Because the entire book points to the resurrection. The centerpiece of the entire book is the resurrection. And if the resurrection is not true, you don't have to pay attention to the rest of this book. You go, but it's so altruistic. There's so many. Who says what's altruistic and what's not? Who says what's good and what's bad? Who says what's right and what's wrong? Who says it's better to love others rather than to take care of self first? Unless the book has it right, and the book is only right if the centerpiece is true, and the centerpiece is the resurrection. It is the key to our faith. It is the key to our faithfulness. Why would you have to persevere in the ways of Christ? Uh, Whether times are good, times are bad. Times making sense, times that are insane. Why persevere? Why continue in the way of Christ? Why continue to hold fast to Him and be faithful? Because it's true. Because it's the centerpiece of all reality. Jesus rose to verify his identity. Friends, if he really rose from the dead, he really is who he said he was. One with the Father. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He is the way and no one comes to the Father but by him. You have to take that as absolute truth if he rose from the dead. It verifies who he is, what he said, and what he did. No resurrection? Forget it. There is a resurrection? Then you would be advised to bet your life on him. It verifies his identity and it validates our faith. There's a good reason to believe in Jesus. There's a good reason to bet your one and only life on him. And that's because he rose from the grave. Now, let me just tease that a little bit further. This isn't just history. Rose from the grave 2,000 years ago. He's alive today. And friend, it's my testimony. I know this resurrected Jesus in a personal, engaged relationship as much as I know my wife or my kids or any of you. 
This is not wishful thinking. This is not fable and fantasy. This is not pretend. This is not just hopeful. I hope, I hope, I hope that all that's real. I engage the resurrected Jesus every day throughout the day. And like the old hymn says, he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. And that's the testimony of every true believer. That you experience a live, living Christ every day. What will you do about that? Is that what you know and have? A living Christ with a real relationship that takes place within you and without in a community? Or do you have some kind of religious thing? This kind of churchianity thing where you kind of try to do more good than bad? You try to be more moral than immoral? You try to follow Jesus as a good example? Adhere to His philosophy in life? Friends, if it's all that kind of stuff, you've missed it. Because it's all about someone who was dead and is alive and has relationship with those of us that follow him today. Do you know Jesus? Do you have that kind of relationship? Is that the reality and the truth that's in your experience? Everything about this morning is pointed to this moment where God is extending an invitation to you. Will you believe that? Will you trust? Will you put the entirety of your life on Jesus? If Jesus and his resurrection are knocked out as false, you're knocked out and you're down because you bet it all on him and who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. Will you trust in him to forgive you of your sin? To reconcile you to God with whom there's a great chasm right now and He considers you an enemy. He loves you, but He considers you an enemy unless you are forgiven by the blood of Christ and reconciled to Him. Will you do that? I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I'm going to pray in such a way that if you want to ask Christ to save you, to forgive you, to cause you to come alive into Him... I'm going to pray that in just a moment. You can pray that with me. The second thing I want to ask you is this. If you have done that, are you identified with him? No mistake. Peter and John, those guys have been with Jesus. We, we marvel at how unlearned, how uneducated, how simple these guys are, the crowd would say. But no mistake, they've been with Jesus. It was a way of identifying with him. And that's what baptism is. It says, I'm his. I, I will follow him. I am committed to him for the days of my life. And friends, the way the Bible advocates for us to do that is by having believers baptism. We just did that a couple of weeks ago on Easter. Most of you saw that take place. Have you taken that step? Would you be willing to take that step? And then the, the Bible admonishes us to follow Jesus well and carefully by having an engaged participating experience in his church. 
If you're our guest, we'd love for that to be here. But mostly, we'd love for it to be anywhere. The church is the present expression and experience of Christ working in this world today to tell about the good news of his resurrection. Are you engaged in that? Are you a participating member? I'm going to pray for you. Let's bow our heads, if you would, for just a moment. And if this is all brand new to you, um, nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to say anything to you. Nobody's going to mess with you. You're in a very safe place. Uh, We're just going to pray for you. And if you are at a place where you go, you know what, I I believe that resurrection. I want to trust Christ. I want to have a relationship with Him. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. I'm going to pray for you. We just shoot your hand up briefly. Say, pray for me, Scott. I'm there. I believe. Okay, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I believe. And I'm going to be His follower. I see it. Thank you. Save me. Thank you. Save me, Jesus. I believe you're alive, and I want to have a live relationship with you. Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you. Okay. Anybody else? Thank you. All right. Lord, you just saw every hand raised. And their heart has been touched by you in this moment. Believing in the resurrection and wanting a relationship with you. I pray right now, Lord, that you would forgive sin. I pray right now you would bridge the gap between us and God. I pray that you would move into our heart by your Spirit and cause us to come alive relationship with you. And we pray that in your name. Amen.